coming straight from the cockpit. It's another episode of Lunatic Fringe with the fucking pilot. Ready, set, go. All right. Uh, this is the fucking pilot back in the can for another edition of Lunatic Fringe. And again, with the magic of the internet, I have an amazing guest to sit down and talk to talk to me about some, some lighthearted stuff and some pretty serious stuff as well. Uh, so tell me, who the fuck are you and what do you do? I am Tracy Baum. I'm currently the operations manager at i5 Phoenix, um, but I've been in the skydiving industry for quite some time. So I've been been around the world a bit. Yeah, you've been in the air to one degree or another for quite a long time. When did you start jumping? Uh, my first tandem was in 2005. Okay. Yeah, so you've got some definite time under your belt. Well, and you've you've kind of hit everything from um, the the low-time student stuff to competition stuff to training to, to tunnel. I mean, every damn thing. Yeah. Um, I like to fly. <laughs> yeah, no shit, <laughs> and right? And I like to share that with other people, so... Um, the journey's been uh, kind of all over the board and different things at different times, uh, but it all comes together and um, it all relates, so it works. Yes, yes, very cool. Now, normally I would uh, um, ask you how you got started in skydiving and, and how you led down this path and did you do anything else and this and that, but um, we had a horrible week last week in the sport. Um, which I know you and everybody that's listening to this knows all about by now, and that was the crash in Hawaii. Um, and what I kind of wanted to talk to you about, um, specifically because Hawaii is happening now, um, is the social media aspect when something like this goes wrong. Uh, and I wanted to talk to you because you had some very firm things to say, um, from issues you've had in the past. So I kind of wanted to dive into the deep end, so to speak, and then see where it goes. Sure. Um, social media. I mean, it's it's a curse and a blessing, um, I think, especially in our community. Um, the blessing is that it allows people like you and I, who are on opposite ends of the world, to keep in touch pretty easily. Mm. Um, the curse is uh, when something goes wrong, I yeah. think. And um, I don't know what it is. It's not unique to skydivers. I think it just um, hits us a little bit harder because we are all over the world and we know people everywhere. Sure. Um, and we don't always know where our friends are. So when you get some idiot that has to be the first person to post on Facebook, you know, and you don't have any details and you don't know who it is, um, all it does is create panic. You sure. know? Oh my God, do I have friends in Hawaii right now? I found out about Hawaii on Facebook. Yeah, so did I. Um, yeah, and it wasn't a news story. It wasn't, you know, it was just it was just a person that used to be a skydiver that happens to live in Hawaii um, posted something that, you know, makes you know that there's an incident, but you don't know what's happened yet. Sure. Um, well, you know, I think I, no, when, go ahead. when I found out about it, it was it was through one of the uh, um, Facebook pages, DiverDriver.com, which is basically just a, a bunch of skydiving pilots and, and ex-skydiving pilots talking about exactly that. Uh, and they had posted the the crash more as a um, uh, kind of an NTSB style. Uh, here are the basics, you know, and and none of the none of the um, names or none of the personal details, which I respect quite a lot, um, knowing what's going on uh, as a pilot. Uh, but as a skydiver, of course, just like you, my first thought is, well, fuck, I don't know who's on the plane. I know people that have cycled through Hawaii for my entire career. I'm pretty sure I know people that are on the island now and I have no idea what's going on. And it takes a lot when you're, when you're now faced with this to not start calling and dialing and messaging everybody, you know, to try and find out if your people are okay. Um, I've kind of, I've kind of taken the way of, of, as soon as I see something like that, I just take a deep breath and go, all right, the names will be released and you just need to keep your mouth shut and be patient. Yeah. I wish more people took that, um, philosophy about it. Really. There's, there's this immediate need. Um, I think particularly with the generation that's grown up with social media, you know, you and I didn't, we had the we were fortunate enough to not, you know, grow up with Facebook and sure. Twitter and Instagram and all that stuff. Um, I think this younger generation, like this immediate satisfaction, this immediate need to put something out there or get a response um, only amplifies the issues that we're kind of touching on. Um, but in general, like people post before families been notified that mm. that happened to me. I lived that. 
Um, my husband went in in Eloy on May 23rd of 2015 hmm. um, at a very large event. It was at the Arizona Challenge. So there was literally hundreds of skydivers uh. on the drop zone. Um, within four and a half minutes of me being notified, and I was on the drop zone, so there was no phone call. There was no trying to get a hold of me. I was standing right there. Wow. Four and a half minutes later, it was on Facebook. Um, his nephew, who was 13 at the time, was on Facebook to find out, um, just to look at, it was his birthday weekend, so he was just kind of catching up on birthday messages, and that's how he found out. Fuck. Um, and I think that's so horribly wrong. Um, the person that posted was on the drop zone, um, had hundreds of people, if they really needed to be consoled or grieve or, or you know, go through whatever emotions it is that they were going through. Sure. They had that opportunity. Um, I think it's very self-serving and selfish to, to have this need to be the first person to know something. Yeah. What uh, is that? I, I don't understand what, uh, and, and it's, it's unfortunate because then, and, and I'm sure you feel the same way um, now down the road, I almost don't want to post anything anytime something happens, uh, even to say condolences, because I don't want to be viewed as one of these people that is just waiting for something to happen so that I can jump on the bandwagon and, and be one of those, you know? I don't. I don't get yeah, it. It definitely creates, it's definitely, you know, changed a lot of my views and how I react to situations. Um, there was, I typically find that the first people to post something publicly, and I'm not talking about sending somebody a private message. Sure. Like I got a lot of those and those were the people that I actually appreciated. Those, the, those were the people that were truly grieving Tom and trying to reach out to me sure. personally, not trying to get some public attention. Sure. Um, but it, it's difficult, you know, and typically where where I've ended with it is just don't be the first. Um, yeah. If all of us agree to not be the first, then it's going to be the family or the loved ones that post something. And if you want to respond with your condolences or reach out at that time, great. But if you're not friends with this person and I'm standing right there and your initial response is to go to Facebook you didn't care about us. You yeah. weren't close with us. Yeah, I completely you know? agree with you on that. Why on earth you would turn to your phone or your computer instead of the person next to you? That I... I... Well, it's the same person. I mean, I was laying on the ground, sobbing uncontrollably. He was 100 feet away from me. Wow. How the, you know? how like the that, fuck do you do that? That's just... See, I, I, no, I ended up... He saw me throw my phone in the garbage at some point because I was like, I'm done. I couldn't get a hold of his family. It was all over Facebook. My phone wouldn't stop ringing. Um, and, and on the ringing of phones, like I'm, I'm not upset that people were trying to reach out to me. It just, I don't know, maybe give someone a minute. You know, well, sure. I didn't feel like I had five minutes to gather myself together before I had to start calling his family because it was already on Facebook. Wow. You know? And I was trying to get a hold of them before they saw it. Well, and then it's not so just that made me not have any time to, to, you know, just take a second to gather myself. I, I felt like I had to immediately start start doing things. Sure, sure. Well, and I remember vividly when all this was happening because I saw quite a bit of it on Facebook and Tom was a friend. And and uh, when that happened, um, I, th I don't think it was terribly long after that you posted very much about this subject. Um, and, and your feelings on it and, and kind of how it twisted you up. And I remember just feeling fucking horrible and almost, it, it was wanting to make sure that your friend is okay, but also not wanting to be one of those people. So it's uh, kind of, as soon as you know, um, someone is at least being looked after, I think you should just take a step back and let them, let it calm down. And you didn't have that at all. I mean, you were inundated from the moment it happened. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it took a pretty rapid um, course. So it was that initial post and then, um, you know, reaching out to his family, uh, you know, and it, when it really comes down to if you're trying to look out and see if a friend's okay, I don't, I don't think a public post is the way to do it. No. If you're, if you're close enough with someone to, to have that concern and want to reach out and make sure that they're okay, you know, there's other ways. There's private messaging. There's, um, you know, texting, phone calls, what, whatever. You don't, there's no reason if you're close with somebody to post it just publicly, randomly on Facebook. Absolutely. Well, in, in, um, in specifically in regard to Tom, but in, in other situations that I've dealt with, um, now what's become the trend over the last probably half a dozen years now is just a black profile picture. 
Um, oh, I hate that. Yeah. Yeah. So do I. Um, because you don't know, is it skydiving related? Is it, and obviously if you're seeing it, it's someone that you know, whether it's just on Facebook or, you know, personally, but I would never, um, see that and post on their wall. Oh my God, what happened? It would always be a personal message. And that's actually how I got the basic details in regard to Tom was through personal messages from other people that were there, not from the all that bullshit. And I just don't, I guess I don't get it. And there's a big difference, I think, between sending that personal message to find out what happened to your friend and putting out a public message, uh, supporting later on family members and friends, um, you know, that are grieving. That's a big difference. Yeah. I, I think it's all a matter of timing, you know, and there's no, there's no absolute right time. Um, but I think there is an absolute wrong time mm. and the absolute wrong time is in the immediate aftermath. Yeah. Um, you don't, you don't know who you're affecting as far as, um, so in, in, you know, in the case with Tom, you know, you might know me, um, but you don't know the rest of our family. You don't know the, what the rest of our family has gone through. Sure. Um, so to compound his nephew finding out on Facebook, um, that was his birthday weekend. It was <sighs> Memorial day weekend. And this, this poor kid had also dealt with his mom trying to commit suicide that same weekend, many years, many years prior. Jesus. Um, so it was already a horrible weekend. And by some dipshit skydiver feeling the need to be the first person to post something, you know, they traumatized this kid. Yeah. Forget about me. I'm an adult. And I, sure, I was going through all kinds of stuff and it pissed me off and um, but you don't know who else you're affecting. You're putting this out there on the internet that anybody can see. Sure. And you don't even think about who you might affect. You're, it's completely selfish and self-serving, yeah. in my opinion. There's no, what benefit do you get by posting, you know, rest in peace or I miss you or what, what does that do for you? Yeah. Yeah, no, I completely agree. I mean, if, if you want to do anything uh, um, for yourself and you you want to you feel the need to be selfish in that way, be selfish in a way that supports that person, that doesn't bring them down. I selfishly want to reach out to my friend to make them feel better. I selfishly want to do this or that or the other, but I'm not going to make it a public thing. It's not a fucking contest. I, unfortunately, I think it is. <laughs> it shouldn't be. No, it shouldn't be. But in, in my mind, when I see this stuff, God, I get, and I try to stay out of these debates on, on social media. I really do. Like, I see it. I get pissed off. I just scroll right past. Mm. Um, there's been a few, like you said, you know, in that initial aftermath, I did get mad enough where I, where I started saying stuff. Um, Sydney Williams, actually, who I know you spoke with recently, um, was you know, a significant part of helping me through that time. Mm. And, you know, I, she, at one point I'm like, you know, Sydney, I need this to stop. Um, and she posted, it turned into a, an AAD debate, um, on, on Tom's Facebook page. Jesus. Like, can you take this valid, valid debate? And I think it's really important. However, can you not have it on? Like, I still scroll through his page as memories, you wow. know? Um, that's not the shit people want to see his family, his friends. Of course like, not. Well, especially when it's a bunch of shit that they don't under, most likely don't understand and, and don't really care. Why would you care about any of that stuff at that point? I mean, I get it that it's a valuable lesson for, for us skydivers, but that's the wrong fucking forum to have that discussion. Absolutely. Absolutely. But either either people don't think or they don't care. Right? Well, and I, I think it's both. I would like to believe that they don't think. Mm, I think it's both. Um, and, and and I'll tell you what, I'm not going to sit here and throw stones without taking a few myself because there have definitely been times that I've just not thought before I've said or done something. Um, I hope not anything that was, you know, uh, of lasting detriment to someone else, but, uh, you know, I've not been the sharpest tack in the box. So, um, for those that just aren't thinking, maybe a conversation like this would help guide them in the right direction. Then the next time something like this happens. And of course, unfortunately there's always a next time. It's, there is, you know, and maybe and they'll be a little bit smarter about it now outside of the, the social media part of it. I mean, I, I, you and I never really talked, um, after, uh, Tom passed, um, because by the time we had had conversations again on Facebook, it was a very uh, lighthearted chat here and there because you were well on the road to getting back on your feet. Uh, but fuck me, did we, what, whatever happened? I, I never did really find out the details. Yeah. Um, so essentially he, he went in with nothing out. Right. 
Um, he had been in a car accident about a week prior. Mm. Um, it was a pretty bad car accident. It was, he totaled a rental car. Um, mm. that, that was another fun lawsuit I got to deal with afterwards. Oh, Jesus God. <laughs> Yeah, it wasn't, it wasn't an easy time for sure. Um, he had been in a car accident and, you know, never went to the doctor. Mm. Um, Tom was never one to complain about physical pain or he, you know, he was, he was a caregiver for everybody else. Sure. Um, so he got in this car accident actually on his way to the airport, um, to go to Seattle for work. And he didn't go to the doctor. He went to Seattle. Um, and that entire week we were on the phone. Um, you know, he was, he was in some pretty serious pain. Hmm. Um, he had some neck pain and he had some tingling in his arm. Um, yeah. So there, there was definitely some sort of an injury, unfortunately, because he never went to the doctor. We'll never know exactly or the extent sure. of, the, of the prior injury, but there was something. Um, something, you know, that it was his reserve side arm that had the tingling. So that may have played into the incident that he wasn't able, um, you know, some, some things we'll never know. Um, the irony or, or some of the other things, you know, like that morning he woke up, um, I was like, I don't don't really feel like jumping. Um, and you know, as skydivers, like I'm never going to tell him not to. Sure. Uh, and I'm never going to tell him he has to. Um, and he did the same. I mean, I'm pretty sure you were at CSC when I was making 30 jumps the weekend I broke my foot. Yeah. You know, oh, yeah. um, we we trust that he that each individual is going to make the right choice for them. Um, so I trusted that. And uh, it was I want to say his fifth or sixth jump of the day. Um, and, you know, we'll we'll never know. Um Sounds like he, you know, waved off, um, attempted to pull. Uh, maybe it was a hard pull. Mm. Um, may- maybe something with his arm being a little bit numb at- made it hard to pull the reserve. Sure. I, you know, we'll, we'll never truly know all of the details. Wow. Well, and uh, that's got to be the hardest part, no? It is. I mean, I wish it was a low turn, to be honest. Like, yeah. at least I could say hey, this is what happened. Yeah, it it can... definitely makes it um, easier I think um, when there's an actual reason, fact that you can point to and say, okay, this is what happened. I understand that. Sure. Um, this one, you know, there's not a lot to understand. And, and it took me a long time to not, you know, to, to just accept. That. Sure. Well, and uh, it was, um, unfortunately, it's as is the case with a lot of longtime skydivers, when you have friends pass, most of the time you're not there. Most of the time it's happened somewhere else. It's a friend that yeah. you made at this drop zone or that drop zone and you've kept connected and, and uh, you find out through the grapevine that, uh, that something went wrong. Or Facebook. Or Facebook, <laughs> yeah. You find out however horrible way you find out. And uh, um I don't know about you, but for me, there's no closure in that, in that there's nothing that there's nothing to say. There's no goodbye because, uh, take my, my good friend, Zach, uh, he passed away a couple of years ago, but to me, I still keep waiting for the phone to ring because I wasn't there. I, I wasn't at the funeral. I didn't say goodbye. I didn't have that closure. And it's a very, very strange thing because they're just kind of never really gone. And I would imagine having unanswered questions has got to be pretty similar. Yeah. Um, I mean, I was there and, you know, obviously I was at all of the services and memorials and, you know, I'm not, I'm not going to lie there. There was a long time. I mean, well over a year that, you know, you either pick up the phone to call that person or you're waiting for them to call. And, um, I think, you know, for me, at least there was a long, long period of shock. Sure. Um, and unfortunately, it's during that initial time that everybody's there to help you. Hmm. Um, and I don't mean unfortunate that they're there to help you. I mean, unfortunate in the timing, because during that that shock phase, which is probably the first year for me, um, isn't when you need people the most. Sure. Um, it's when you start coming out of that and actually grieving and actually accepting and actually living um, without that person. That That's when you need people the most. And Outside of your immediate circle, you know that's where everybody else is over it and moved on. Yeah, they um, they they've 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 uh, um, 
filed it in that category and and uh, have pleasant thoughts, but that's about it. But you're still dealing with it on a daily basis. And it's funny. Absolutely. It's funny that you say all that because I remember thinking over the course of that first year um, in seeing the occasional posts, and I believe we spoke a couple of times chatting back and forth on Facebook, that you seemed so strong about the entire thing. And I was so ridiculously impressed um, and still am very impressed. Uh, but the fact that you're saying it was still just such a shock even a year later makes a lot of sense yeah I mean you I've always been a strong person at least I'd like to believe that um but you don't have a choice right you know I didn't have a choice but not to be my choices were get off your ass and be strong and 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 live or stick your head in the sand sure like you know that who does that honor that doesn't honor who I am that didn't honor who he was um you know, not to mention you got to get up and go to work. And, sure. you know, I, I took a month. Um, I went back to Chicago for a month, which, you know, still astonishes me that it was actually a month because mm. it, it didn't feel like that, of course. Sure. Um, but you have to get up. You know, you have to. You just don't have a choice. Yeah, yeah. You got to get up. You got bills to pay. You've got um, commitments. And, you know, honestly, the busier I was, the easier it was for me. Well, now, um, did I have to ask uh, – because a lot of people, if there's any non-jumpers listening or low-time jumpers listening that don't really have a lot of experience in the sport, a lot of people are thinking, how could you ever go back to this industry? How could you ever go back to skydiving? Um, and that's a you had to have had that talk with yourself. Of course. Um, so I took a month off. I really didn't know. I had just accepted a job um, with Skydive Elsinore actually the weekend before Tom and I went to Eloy. Mm. Um, and I was supposed to start the Monday after. Oh, wow. Um, obviously, that didn't happen quite that way. Right. Um, my dad ended up flying out to Eloy and we drove the rental car back to California. I went back to Chicago where, our, where all of mine and his family is. Um, and I stayed there for a month, you know, not really kind of knowing what what I was going to do, but there was a lot of things to, to wrap up a lot of legal stuff. Um, you know, memorials, his family, we had a house there, just, just all kinds of, you know, like life stuff. Sure. Um, which actually dealing with a lot of that makes that initial time frame a bit easier because you're busy and your mind is occupied, um, with other things. Sure. So you're not, you're not really dealing with your emotions yet. Um, so I did that and the position that I accepted at Elsinore didn't, didn't necessarily require me to jump. Um, but obviously it's a preferred situation. Right. Um, so the, the way that I figured out the date that I was going to go back to California, there was an event called the poker run, um, at Elsinore, which is a super fun event. Um, you do six jumps and or, I'm sorry, five jumps and you get a, you get a playing card at the end of every jump and then you play poker and there's tequila penalties and um, great event if anybody's never checked it out uh, it's it's a lot of fun um, so the, the drop zone was actually going to cancel it because I wasn't there mm. so that was how I figured out what date I was going to come back was to um, go do the poker run what I told myself was you know that having taken a month off jumping was the longest I hadn't jumped you know since I started mm. basically so it already felt like a, a million years since I had jumped. Um, it, I felt super incurrent. I didn't, obviously super emotional. Um, not really all the best scenario to go make a skydive. Sure. But, um, you know, I put this team together and uh, was really supportive at the drop zone. Um, and I had told myself, like, you know, you're not going to know until you do it again whether you want to continue doing this or not. Fair enough. Um, so I climbed out on that very first jump. Uh, and God, man, I felt like a student. I was shaking. I was so nervous. I bet. Um, so many things running through your head, obviously. But I had newer jumpers on this team with me. I was trying to hold my head up and, and set a good example. Um, if you're scared, they're going to be scared. Bad things can happen. Sure. Um, honestly, when I was standing outside the plane, right before I gave the count, I, I basically in my head said, fuck it. What's the worst thing that can happen? <laughs> right. And if that happens, who cares? Right. I mean, that, that's where I was at mentally, which isn't, I wouldn't promote that attitude, um, to go skydive with. <laughs> no, but it was understandable in all. your case for sure. <laughs> if somebody told me that on the ground, I would say, please don't go jump right yeah, now. Yeah. Um, 
but I did. And, um, you know, honestly, skydiving was a really big part of Tom and I's life. Um, it was something that he brought me into. He was my, my first tandem instructor. That's how we met. I know cliche. Awesome. Um, but I felt really close to him, um, in the sky. I still do. That's, um, and that's, that's kind of amazing. I, you know, I, I guess I never really, I never really thought about it that way. Uh, and having lost more than my fair share of friends as, as a lot of us have, um, I guess when it comes to jumping, I always kind of separate that from this, if that makes any sense. Um, mm -hmm. But that's a really cool way to look at it. Yeah. And then you tell yourself all the other things like, well, you know, I have an AAD, I have this, I have that, you know, and I'm not going to turn low, you know, you, you and when anytime there's an incident, you know, obviously you want to learn from it. But unfortunately, a lot of the incidents aren't new things that we need to learn. No. I mean, how many people go in from turning low? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And how long have how long I've learned from day one, don't turn low, like, like, you know, not to do it. Oh, yeah. Um, so you convince yourself of all kinds of things after every incident, like, oh, well, I wouldn't do that. That's not going to happen to me. And, you know, it's what's worse is when it happens to somebody else. It's not, it's not, you know, typically you, you're not going to grieve over yourself. Yeah, like no. you're, no. <laughs> you know, it's, it's the pain is going to come from somebody else doing it. So, oh yeah. Oh, absolutely. There, there was a lot of up and downs for sure. You know, I didn't know, um, I ended up going, you know, diving further into the sport. Um, part of that was, you know, a need, a need financially to survive um, and, you know, pay your bills and, you know, all of, all of that. Sure. Um, so there, you know, that, that was definitely part of it, but honestly, just, you know, continuing on his legacy of sharing that sport and sharing, you know, spending so much time with the newer jumpers, that was something that Tom always did. And um, I, I still hear about to this day when I meet people that maybe I've never met, but sure. he helped them when they were new. Um, those are amazing stories. And that's kind of what keeps me going is, is it's a little bit of his legacy. Um, he shared it with me and, and so many other people, and I'm just continuing to do that. Well, that was one of his biggest uh, uh, attributes uh, and one of the standout qualities about Tom was uh, his desire to give back to the community. Um, and, yeah. and, in pretty much every podcast I've done, we've talked about the fact that the community of skydivers is just as, if not even more important than the sport itself. Um, it's just an amazing group of very twisted, interesting people that for the most part have huge hearts. They're a little mental. We're all a little mental, <laughs> but, but you know, huge. A little hearts. on the lunatic fringe. Yeah, so on the lunatic fringe, absolutely, and I wouldn't have it any other way. I mean, God knows it keeps the uh, the bonfire antics uh, interesting, to say the least. Um, absolutely. So yeah, I can understand how the, the you would almost end up deeper in the sport because uh, you kind of you have to get to that point where you make that decision. I guess we all do if you're in the sport any length of time and and you lose someone, whether it's someone as close as you did or or just a good friend or even an acquaintance. You have to sit down and go, okay, is do I keep doing this? Is is this what I do? You know. So I suppose once you've crossed that bridge. The, I think you're kind of a, once you've, once you're there, you're a skydiver for good. Yeah. I mean, I was, I was really fortunate as well that my family who never fully understood me skydiving at all, um, was also really supportive of that. You know, they never, you know, they asked me to think about it. We had the same conversation that you and I just had. Um, but ultimately, you know, they, they just supported me. Um, and, I'm so thankful for that because if, if they didn't, you know, I don't, I don't know how that would have affected me continuing. Sure. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, I, I'd imagine it would have, it would have made you definitely think twice for sure. Well, so yeah, and you've got to, I, I was just going to say, so you, you started dating and ended up marrying your first tandem instructor. <laughs> yes. Yes. That's kind of, yeah. I'm that person. Wow. Wow. Well, hey, I mean, come on. Uh, having been a tandem instructor for a long time, I definitely dated a few of my students. I just didn't marry any of them. Uh, <laughs> but, but you, so you and Tom, uh, I mean, he basically taught you how to skydive in the beginning. Was he your instructor throughout? No. Um, Good man. So Tom never had his AFF rating. Um, it was something with his skill level that would have been very easy for him to do mm. and his teaching demeanor and sharing and all of that. Um, he, he used to say a lot that, um, he likes to keep his students attached to him. 
<laughs> they can't get away from me. Right. Oh, yeah. Um, so he never got his AFF rating. Um, he was on the plane for my first AFF jump with Nathan Dexter. Awesome. Um, yeah. <laughs> Love Nathan. Um, but he, he, he was on the plane and he was there to support and he was there when I had questions. Um, you know, obviously he'd review malfunctions with me if that's what I wanted to do, but he really just stayed out of it. He didn't, um, he didn't interfere when the instructors were talking to me about any of the levels I was doing. Um, you know, he, he took me to the tunnel before I did my first AFF because that's what I wanted to do. Um, I, as most of us are type A, like I didn't, I didn't want to fail. Sure. So I wanted to go do everything in the tunnel. I basically did the entire AFF program in the tunnel. Um, and that gave me the peace of mind to know I can do all of this. Now I need to focus on altitude awareness on my canopy. Which is Um, extremely important. Yeah. Huge. But I didn't have to really worry about the free fall part because I kind of felt like I had that, Sure, you know, at least enough to, to be safe. Sure. Well, so you end up getting through AFF, but actually I'll back up for just a second. So he took you on your first tandem, but it sounds like you guys like were together from right then. Pretty much. Um, so the long and short of it is that was in, I want to say like July All right. of 2005. Um, there was an event, uh, there was still jump for the cause was still going on at that time. Okay. Um, I was working at a food distribution company and I, I was trying to find a way to get back to the drop zone. Like Tom and I talked after, after the jump and there was this obvious connection. Um, and it was a busy Saturday at Scott F Chicago. So like he was back in rotation and I was kind of like, Hmm, how do I get back here and kind of like have more time with him? Right. I fully stalked him. Nice. Um, so I found out about this barbecue that was going on at Skydash Chicago for Jump for the Cause. Um, and I basically called the drop zone and said, hey, I want to donate all the food for this barbecue. Wow. So I did. <laughs> and I went to the barbecue. Um, and that was pretty much it. That was, that was it. That's cool. Um, we moved to Mexico a couple months later. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I quit my job, sold my house, and moved to Mexico, essentially. No way to and, take it slow. Uh, it was the best decision I ever made. Yeah, fucking hell. That's awesome. That's, yeah, you know, I, I wrote an article a long, long time ago about how most relationships in skydiving fail, because most of them do. <laughs> but you guys were clearly the exception to that rule. Yeah, um, drop zones are hard. Relationships on drop zones are hard. Um yeah, what's the saying? Think, it's it's not your it's not your person, it's just your turn. Yeah, you don't yeah, that's that's exactly it. It is um, a bit of an incestuous sport because <clears throat> it's so I mean, it's so tight knit and so small that you end up dating a lot of the same people if you're in the same community. You do. I mean, that's who you interact with, that's who you hang out with, that's who you see most of the time. Um, you know, with that, you know, like when I when I thought about maybe starting to date again, um, you know, a lot of people asked me, would you ever date a skydiver again? And I was like, you know, I honestly don't think I can't date a skydiver because I think particularly as a woman, as a full-time skydiver, like nobody's going to understand that. Nobody's going to understand that it's not a nine to five, that you're, you're going to get on that sunset load, that you have to take your student to the tunnel on your day off. Um, Whatever it is, like if I met Joe Schmo who worked in an office nine to five, how does that work? Well, it doesn't for a number of reasons. A, they're just like you said, they're not going to understand the the draw and the uh, attention that you'll give the sport and the community. A, but B, Joe Schmo that's never jumped out of an airplane is never going to be able to handle dating a girl that's ten times more badass than he is. <laughs> <laughs> just, I mean, it creates a lot of issues. Fucking right? hell, it does. I mean, um, when your girl's got bigger balls than you do, uh, you know, metaphorically speaking. Well, you do know that my balls are so big, Dean, that they had to put them on my chest to avoid chasing. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I wasn't going to say anything, but yeah, now that you mention it, you are a bit curvy. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So yeah, I can I can see how between the food and and other attributes, you won Tom over relatively quickly. <laughs> <laughs> 
Well, the, the best part about that is he wasn't at the barbecue <laughs> initially. Oh, um, he was up at, I don't know if it was Sky Nights or Skydive Midwest, one of, one of the other drop zones um, further north at a four-way meet. So he ended up at the barbecue uh, because he heard that I was there looking for him. Oh. But not initially there. All right. That's one of the times the grapevine served you well then. Yes, yes. That, <laughs> that, worked, that one worked out well. So now, that would be an okay one to post on Facebook. Yeah, right, know? right. Now, didn't you guys end up on a team together at some point? We did. Um, so I actually worked really hard to get to that point. Tom was an avid four-way competitor, um, he loved it. And you, when we first started dating, you know, I would go with him to meets at other drop zones and, um, he'd be like, Hey, can you quiz me on the draw on the way there? And I had no idea what any of these letters or names or formations meant. Sure. Um, but he was really into it. He loved it. And I remember, I will never forget watching the first videos of the first meet that I went with him and not understanding anything about it. Hmm. Um, shortly thereafter, he showed me some videos of airspeed and I was like, oh, I get it. Like the shapes made sense because they, (laughs) (laughs) because they looked like the shape that they were supposed to stamped on paper. Ouch. Um, yeah, (laughs) well, we all go through that phase, right? Um, it doesn't matter if the shape looks pretty, if you get the point, but it helps somebody from the outside a little bit understand. Sure. So, um, he, you know, he wanted to continue and I wanted to get into it. And, you know, Tom traveled a lot for work. So it was really important. Um, we always prioritized making time for each other um, over anything else. Sure. So if we, if I wanted to do four-way and he wanted to do four-way, the, the most time efficient and fun way for us to do it would be to do it together. But he had so many years um, ahead of me in the sport that I was way behind the curve. Sure. So... I just put everything I had into it. Um, I went to the tunnel. I worked with, you know, I, I didn't do a lot of silly, fun jumps. Um, all of the jumps that I did for my first probably 500 jumps were all, you know, something to get better, hmm. something to work on. Um, I was pretty lucky with some of the LOs at CSC at the time um, who understood that and, and worked with me on that and helped me progress. Um, and then working with some really uh, great coaches in the sport, um, you know, helped me progress pretty quickly too, to the point where we were more so on an even keel to be on a team together. Sure. Well, um, and this so is this is about the time that your and my paths crossed, isn't it? <laughs> this was the CS the CSC time. Um. Yeah, that was all during that time. Yeah, so yeah. Because you were always walking around the drop zone, on, and of course, I would only see jumpers on the ground when we would shut down. Otherwise, it was just helmets and jumpsuits in the back. But you were always walking yep. around the drop zone with a black jumpsuit tied around your waist and curves. <laughs> <laughs> and you were always yep. marching around the drop zone, and apparently, always had somewhere to go and very motivated. <laughs> motivated is a good word. Yeah. Um. For sure. I, I have a hard time just sitting still. Yeah. Um, so whether it's, oh, so-and-so just landed. Let me go talk to them. Or how'd that jump go? Or um, what load are we on? Or what are we doing next? Or, sure. you know, yeah, I still don't sit still very well. Um, I work in a three-story building now. And I'm, I mean, I can't tell you how many steps I put in every day just because I can't sit still. Oh, I bet. I bet. But, um, yeah, there, that was definitely the times our paths crossed. I had I went through AFF at CSC, um, probably right before that. So I did my first couple AFF jumps. I want to say were out of the pack, um, and it was I want to say it was the first year they had the pack. Okay. So um, Tom was typically doing tandems, um, which was awesome because he would make money and then I would be jumping it off at the same time. So we pretty much came out zero there all the time. <laughs> Between the jumps and the raffle tickets, right. you know, um, yeah, that was uh, that was definitely the time. Yeah, yeah, you were there. Yeah, no, I because I came out. To, I don't even remember what year I started flying for CSC, but I did four years there, and and uh, um, you guys were super active the entire time that I was there, both in jumping and in the in the social aspect of it. Um, which is funny. I know you've got a, um, uh, a couple of great stories from CSC, some good, some bad. You got one <laughs> f- fucked up one about me. Well, probably more than one. <laughs> so, but you, you had told me before we started recording about uh, a story you tell your students. Yeah. So, God, I think 
I probably had right around a hundred jumps. I mean, I, I was still a, a baby skydiver at the time. Right. Um, and being a formation skydiver, you're typically first out of the plane. Um, so it was myself and I want to say Brian Darnell. Um, I think we were just doing a two way. We were in the door, we're on jump run. And you know, the famous when everybody starts yelling at you to go. Yep. So I'm the one looking down. I'm the one making the decision. But ultimately, there was no green light. <laughs> so just to back up for a minute, it had to be like the day before or two days before. There was a jumper who got grounded at CSC for jumping because there was no green light. Right. So this is pretty fresh in my mind right. <laughs> in the door. And not only are all the jumpers yelling at us to go, now the fucking pilot literally also starts yelling at us to go. And we're still not going. And the entire plane is yelling at us. I'm like, dude, there's no green light. Um, yep. And that's. Yeah, you finally, you finally figured it out. Yeah, that's, that's sure the a, the about the time it clicked that uh, I was that asshole that had forgotten <laughs> to turn on the green light. Um, so you guys were 100% right not to jump and I completely fucked that spot. Um, and then came down and did something I hate doing more than anything, which is apologize, <laughs> especially, yep, especially yep. when it comes to flying a plane. Cause well, we had a, our spot was okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Everybody else was fucked. <laughs> Yeah. Well, yeah, I think I was still pretty new to the Otter at that time because I had done most of my flying in the pack out in Davis in California and uh, didn't start flying the Twin Otter until CSC um, and uh, had some very interesting, challenging times at CSC between weather and, and some maintenance issues and a new plane and all that stuff. And so, yeah, I may have been a little bit more high strung back then. Uh, it was all a good fun. I mean, when you real you realized it pretty quickly, it wasn't. Um, but as a newer jumper, <laughs> I was like, "Oh my god, am I am I doing the wrong thing?" Like, <laughs> even the pilot's yelling at me now. <laughs> oh yeah. Um, so I do I do tell my students that um, when I'm doing AFF, particularly as they start doing their solos or they're no longer jumping with an instructor. Um, that it is important to make sure that that green light is on. And even if you're not the first person out, that the green light is still on. Sure. Um, because something can happen where, you know, the light goes red for whatever reason. Maybe it's a go around. Maybe there's traffic. You don't always know. Sure. Um, well, and, and uh, I like to think that the pilot is better, but sure. maybe not always. Well, and, and as technology has taken over more and more um, in both aviation and in skydiving, the, the art of spotting um, has slowly faded. Um, you check your spot when you're first to get out and maybe you glance as you continue to go. But if you're on one of these big drop zones, um, the green light comes on and everybody just starts streaming out. Um, and it's all, you know, GPS and everybody trusts the pilot. Well, they stop looking at the light sometimes, which is horrible because as a pilot, um, if I don't have a PA system in the airplane, the only way I have to, you know, to tell someone to stop jumping because there's something wrong is to turn that red light on. Um, so it is really important to continue looking to make sure you're still green to go. Cause there might be a fucking plane under you. You never know. Yeah, you have you have no idea, and a lot of these bigger drop zones have. Um, I mean, like Skydive Chicago is right on the Bradford Six, mm. so on the way to O'Hare, and you definitely. I mean, I've I've seen Southwest planes while I'm free falling. Oh yeah, um, it can happen, and you may not see, it. especially as a newer jumper, your field of awareness isn't um, isn't there yet, no. and and it takes time to build that. So building in good habits of spotting, um, it is it's a lost art. People don't. Very seldom do they look, and if they do look, I don't think they know what they're looking for. Right. Um, I think it's an action that they just look down, but what does that mean? Right. Um, what are the upper ones doing? We don't educate ourselves. All of this technology is great, but we don't educate ourselves anymore. You know, what are the uppers doing, and what does that mean for group separation? Right. Um, what does that mean for your spot? Sure. What does that mean um, for the first person getting out? What does that mean for the last person getting out, you know? Um it's uh, it's definitely not. That was where as trained as it should be. When I started flying the Twin Otter for uh, for CSC, that's actually where I picked up one of the best habits ever. Um, and I know you'll remember this from uh, jump runs in that Otter was hearing the callouts uh, from the cockpit because I was trained uh, in that plane. All right, you're gonna 
call out the two minute over the PA system. And then when the green light goes on, you're going to call out distances to over the top and distances from over the top, as well as giving people the ground speed. Uh, so you're giving people as much information as they can possibly get before they've even poked their head out the door. They're going to know where they're at and where they're looking. And that's a good thing. And a bad thing because it also helps make jumpers lazy because, you know, I'm going to tell you, your point two prior, get out. So, yeah, um, I definitely, I definitely appreciated that. Um, it, it definitely helped me learn and understand. But at the same time, when you go to another job zone and you're not hearing that, you need to be able to function the same way Absolutely. and make the same. Um, so what I learned from that is, you know, when I was at Alsnor for so many years working, I would communicate with the pilot, like, hey, where's jump run? Where are you turning on the green? Point, point four prior? Great. Um, it helps me understand what, what's going on. Absolutely. But yeah, for sure. If you're not getting that information um, and you're used to hearing that, uh, it can be a challenge. For sure. But most places aren't doing that. So you have just as much of a challenge of how do you figure that information out? Um, well, and it's, uh, you know, the, the you fact can read a chart before you get on the plane, I guess. Sure. Well, the fact that. that you're asking the pilots, but that's by far the best way to go. As long as they've got the time to deal with it. I, I don't know any pilot that's not going to happily say, Hey, we're flying zero four zero. You're going to get out 0.5 prior and you're doing 90 knots, which is, yeah. it, that's the information you need to know. Well, you're, are you going to be east or west of the field or, you know, all those little things that make a difference when you're, you know, halfway through free falling, glancing around just to get a, a feel of where you're at. Now, for me, as a, yeah. as a, as a most of the time tandem instructor, the spots were always the easiest damn thing because all I've got time to do is just look around. <laughs> yeah, if you, know, you need to pull a little bit higher, you do. Yeah, there's nothing going on. I'm giving the signal to the camera guy that we're long and we're going to open high. It makes it easy. Piece of cake. Well, so now yeah. you you did all of this stuff and ended up transitioning into the tunnel. How'd that happen? Yes. Um. So I went from managing Elsinore um, to working in the school there. So I was jumping every day, which I loved. I loved working with the students. Um, I love doing video. Like, like tandem instructors are great, but you don't get to see their their face right. on that first jump. You know, like the videographer really gets to interact and experience that oh, with yeah. them. Um, and of course, AFF the same, although a bit scarier because <laughs> you're a little bit more responsible <laughs> in that role than as a videographer. No doubt. Um, so I did that, and. Um, I started getting the feeling like it was time for me to move on. Mm. Um, we talked a little bit about me quitting my job and selling my house and moving to Mexico. And although that was really scary, it was, it was, you know, one of the best decisions I made in my life. So I made a decision to pick up and move to Arizona. Mm. Um, I had been in a relationship for quite some time and um, I was tired of making the drive back and forth. <laughs> So I actually moved to Arizona with zero plan other than where and who I was going to live with. Um, I was doing the boogie circuit with Mirage at the time and as an LO also. So I had some work lined up. I had enough saved up that I was going to be okay. Um, and I ended up at the tunnel. Um, the position, you know, came open. I had some friends that worked there and I thought it was a really good balance um, for me to go a little bit back to the quote unquote real world, as far as a guaranteed paycheck, um, insurance, things like that, but also still stay in the industry. Sure. Um, so it's still what I love to do. Um, my body appreciates not having to jump every day. <laughs> right. Um, <laughs> you, I mean, you know, the worst thing is when you, when you're sick and you have to go skydiving, oh, yeah. like I love skydiving, but it's still a job. Sure. Days. Oh no, absolutely. Uh -huh. The, the greatest thing that you ever know, happened the, to me was, was, uh, uh, not jumping for over four years and then coming back to the sport as a first time fun jumper. Cause I started working in the sport as quickly as you started training for four way. I was working as I started shooting video yeah. and then I was chucking drogues and then I was doing AFF and I did that for, you know, I mean, shit. 9,000 jumps, 10,000 jumps before I became a fun jumper. Like I, I had 10, oh, well over 10,000 jumps before I just went out and got goofy in the sky. So it's weird. You're like, what do, what do I do? It's fucking great. <laughs> it's absolutely great. And if you ask me, all my best memories in skydiving are still doing tandems. I loved doing tandems. I loved the interaction with first time jumpers, but, um, being a, an old new fun jumper is fucking wonderful. 
Yeah, it kind of, um, it gives you a different perspective and, and I think it brings a whole nother aspect to the sport and the community sure. within yourself. Oh yeah. Well, and you remember why you got into it in the first place. I'm still trying to figure out how to be a fun jumper since I've moved here. Um, <laughs> typically, I go to the drop zone. I'm still four-way training. Right. Well, and uh, I'm, I'd imagine working in the tunnel, too, you're, again, a face that everybody recognizes as someone that's teaching and doing all this stuff. So it's kind of tough to get away from it. It is a little bit. Um, I have certain people at the drop zone that, you know, try to book time. I'm like, yeah, so I'm not at work right now. I'm on a 20-minute call. Um, but if you want to call the tunnel and make that reservation, you can. <laughs> um, I mean, I've had people give me their their credit cards at the drop zone. Um, I'm like, I'm not sure what you want me to do with this, but, uh, you know, you can call and here's how, what you can do. Right. Um, so there's, there's, a little bit, there's a little bit of crossover there. Not, not too bad. Most people um, will kind of let me be. Um, but there, there's a little bit. Sure. Um, I haven't been fun jumping as much lately. I probably should, you know, kind of get back to that a bit more. Um, you know, life just gets in the way. Now, it's not my job. I'm not at the drop zone every day. So I don't always have a reason to go there. Sure. Um, and being in Arizona in the summer, like if you're not at the drop zone at the crack of dawn, um, you're not jumping. Sure. You know, they start early, they end early, dust devil. I landed in a dust devil last weekend. That was fun. Oh, fuck that noise. No, um, no, 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 no. Yeah. It was, I mean, it wasn't bad. I was probably about 10 feet off the ground. Um, I didn't get slammed into the ground or anything. It just, you know, it was just, it was scary. Sure. The worst part was after I landed and I was still in it trying to disconnect my trap system to be able to cut away my main. Um, it proved to be more difficult than it should have been. Ooh. So um, I, it was all under control. It was good. You know, there's no, no injuries, no, no anything, but uh, definitely, definitely a scary moment. Well, yeah. And one of that reminds you, no matter how many jumps you have, no matter how many years in the sport you have, like something new can still happen. Oh, yeah. Oh, absolutely. I mean, uh, I am acutely aware, probably even more so now, that although we do a damn good job of making our sport safe and uh, a sport that you can do literally your whole life, I mean, guys like Lou Sanborn are a golden example of that. Um, yeah. It's something you can literally do forever, but it's not necessarily always going to go your way, even if you do everything right. So uh, the older I get, the more aware that I am and also shit just hurts more <laughs> so yeah that little twist <laughs> or sprain or strain just takes that much longer to to get over and the aches and pains aren't all necessarily that much fun so the going out and, and the days of doing 10 or 15 jumps a day are way behind me um I agree with all of that except the days of the 10 to 15 jumps you go. Uh, I'm still I'm still training four way um, so typically it's typically it's about 10 to 12 that we'll do in a day, um, which is still a lot less physically painful, uh, than doing, you know, 10 to 15 AFF jumps. Sure. Um, those just tear your body apart, even, even with good students. Um, so there's, there's a difference for sure. Um, but yeah, it, it definitely takes longer to recover. I mean, after a four day, four way camp, I used to just go straight to work and now I'm like, Oh my God, I need a day off <laughs> <laughs> just to recover from the fun that I just had. Right. This, this getting older shits, uh, it's no joke. <laughs> True story, but I'll take it. Hell yeah. Oh, absolutely. Well, again, we talked about that before we started the recording, uh, um, cause I just had my 50th birthday and I refuse to bitch about getting any older because we know way too many people that don't have that luck. So yeah. I'm going to soak up every gray hair and every day. Yeah. I got nothing to bitch about nothing whatsoever. So you're at the tunnel. You're, um, still very heavy in the sport, still training four way and all that stuff. What's the future hold? What's down the road for you? Um, that's a really good question. <laughs> um, Something that I've learned, um, I don't, I don't put too much faith in plans. Um, you know, there, there was a point that I thought I knew what my life was going to hold and, and what my future was going to look like. Hmm. Um, you know, and then I had that day that, that everything changed. Sure. Um, so I would, I don't see myself getting out of the sport. Um, I've changed my roles as time goes on and that may continue, um, 
I'll probably get back into LOing a little bit more. Um, I've taken some time off of that. I did I did the full boogie circuit for a couple of years mm. and I loved it. Um, but I'm kind of enjoying right now jumping when I want to because I want to sure. uh, and not because I have to. So probably a little bit more of that um, will come back with time. Um, I, I'm just enjoying life right now. Um, Spend a lot of time with my boyfriend and his kids, nice. um, which is something I never thought I wanted kids. So that's a whole new ball of wax. Um, uh, I still feel kind of fortunate that they that they were a little bit older by the time I came into the picture. Right. So there wasn't any diaper screaming or bottles or diapers or any of that sure. stuff. Um, but yeah, I mean, just kind of enjoying life in a different um, in a different perspective sure. and. You know, we still jump and um, still in the tunnel a lot, but now is is, just, is your man a jumper? Different life. He is very cool. Um, might you might you might have heard of him? His name's Mark. Uh, um, he's got probably about twenty eight thousand skydives. Uh, I don't know, six ish world medals. I probably heard um, of him then. <laughs> something something like that. So. Um, yeah, he was actually my very first coach when I when I started wanting to get into four way. So we've known each other for a long time. Um, Tom actually introduced us, so um, there wasn't any. Uh, there's no weirdness sure. if I talk about Tom or you know anything like that. Um, Mark was actually running the event at the time, mm. so um, he he lived it with me. Right. Um, What's uh? And, you know, how old are the kids? Uh, eight and 10 now. Okay. So, so drop zone kids, I'm guessing. I mean, packing weights. No, no, no. We have tried to get them excited about learning to pack, um, and maybe making some money and they will not fly in the tunnel. What? Um, yeah, no, they hate it. So they, they, I'm they, I don't know how old they were when, when Mark put them in the tunnel the first time, um, it was in Eloy. It was before all the iFlies were, you know, everywhere. Right. Um, and so it's a little bit louder. It's hot. It can be uncomfortable. You get sand blowing at you. Um, just depends on what time of year and what time of day, right? right. So they weren't really into it. Um, last year, I want to say it was last year, um, They the boys are both super into military and, and uh wars and stuff like that so there happened to be some some military working at the tunnel and they gave them like their their military helmets and a little bit of camo and um thought they'd be super excited to get in put the put the air on really low they were walking around just to get comfortable um and then the instructor uh we'll leave him out of it because everybody knows who he is (laughs) um (laughs) another big name in the sport Mm. um thought it might be cool to do a backflip with them Oh, scared the living daylights out of the kids. And the next time they went in the tunnel, they grabbed the net and wouldn't let go. Uh. Um, so that was done. And then I did a promotion. They had a partnership with DreamWorks. Mm. Um, so we had a how to train your dragon virtual reality. Wow. And I thought for sure if these kids were going to get in the tunnel, like this was what they were going to do. Um, and they did not want to fly it. They wanted to, they wanted to watch it sitting down. And wow. I told them they couldn't. They had to fly. So they're uh, they're just not into it, which isn't a bad thing. No, fair um, enough. It definitely lets us keep keep that part of our lives a little bit separate from our family life. Sure. Um, and that's you know that's okay. Yeah. So if they want to down the road, like we're here and we'd be supportive and we'd help them. But right now they're just they don't want anything to do with it. Well, and fair enough. I mean, I'm I'm not heartbroken that my daughter's not chomping at the bit to go be a skydiver. That doesn't bother me. Right. Uh, but well, as a father with a daughter on a drop zone, that uh, that has a <laughs> right right <laughs> that brings a whole lot of other stuff with it. Yeah. It's not just about the. Thing, I'm sure. Yeah, no, I chatted with uh, Mike Wittenberg about that, and he said the same thing. He's like, yeah, the whole daughter on the drop zone thing. No, I don't want her getting later ending up with a coke habit. <laughs> I mean, there's there's pilots out there like you. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, that's the thing, too, is is uh, um, the, the old joke, and I've said it many times on the podcast, is, yeah, my daughter can go make a skydive as long as she doesn't go to a fucking drop zone to do it. What I never followed up that statement with is because she might meet someone like me. (laughs) 
Yeah. yeah. I mean, and your daughter's beautiful, so she would definitely meet someone. Yeah, and which uh, is why I am thrilled that she's cool not being on the on the drop zone. She's she's doing her <laughs> doing her own thing and that's fantastic. But just like you, if she decides she wants to go out and learn how to skydive, I I would support it. But she's also old enough now to tell people to fuck off, so yeah. <laughs> yeah, and she's she's. I'm sure I'm sure you've taught her a nice right hook. Yeah, for this situation. Well, and she's been in, she's been around the sport her whole life because of me, so she knows enough about skydiving now to be like, dude, back up. Yeah. <laughs> like go. No, no, no. Yeah. Well, very, very, very cool. I mean, it's it's fantastic to see that uh, you've got so many different really cool things going, and you've had a hell of a path through the sport. I mean, um, a lot of it definitely painted by a horrible experience that you handled incredibly i mean i don't know that that there's that many people that can say that they're as strong as you've had to be um i hope not and and i don't i don't want there to be a lot of us but there there will be more of course you know i had some really good people um help me get through the situation um Blue McGowan in particular was somebody that I hadn't known before. I had known her husband, Pat, mm. and, you know, before he passed. Sure. Um, and that was somebody that, you know, I, I reached out to as, as another widow in the sport. Mm. Um, we've all lost friends sure. um, or acquaintances. Um, but to, to have somebody that actually went through that same scenario yeah. um, was super helpful. And I was just talking with her a week or so ago Um you know that yeah. When when the day comes, I would definitely pass that that support on um, to the next person as well. I just I don't I don't want to see it happen, but we all know it will. Of course, of course. Well, and and hopefully, uh, actually, unfortunately, there's probably somebody listening that may have to end up taking that advice, whether it be uh, uh, you know a husband or a wife or even just a really close friend. Uh, and it's important for people to know that there are people that have gone through this situation that they can reach out to. That's really important. Yeah. It really is. Yeah. I mean, I think as a community, you know, that, that we're all there. Um, you know, I, I'm probably more hesitant to reach out to people that maybe I don't know very well mm. because of the whole social media phenomenon and, and kind of, you know, everybody's ready at a different point. Sure. Um, but, you know, that's not to say if somebody were to reach out to me that I wouldn't wholeheartedly 100% be there. Yeah, yeah, which is fantastic. It really is. Well, uh, as we uh, as we wind things down, have you got any advice? I always try and ask uh, advice to newer jumpers or, or anybody that doesn't jump that's thinking about getting into it or just advice in general. Anything you want to pass on before we go? Um, I mean, as far as jumping, just... Don't ever be complacent. Um, that's that's the biggest thing. You're you're never too uh, far in the sport or too experienced to continue learning or have or have something happen. So you know, I mean, I check my handles every time before I get out of the plane. Oh, yeah. Doesn't matter how many thousands of jumps I have, and I I don't see a lot of newer jumpers um, really kind of doing that. Yeah, that's so uh, that's for the newer jumpers. For the experienced jumpers, continue to set the example. You know, if I see a student on the plane not touching their handles on jump run, I will stand right up and make a big production about touching mine. Nice. Um, I won't call them out for it. I won't yell at them for it. But, you know, I'll I'll get right in their face and kind of say, like, hey, this is what you should be doing. Sure. Um, advice for life in general, just get busy living. Um, chase those dreams. Yep. Make the big, scary decisions. Um yeah. They may work out, they may not, but at least at least you tried. Oh yeah. No, no, no. I I can definitely second that advice. I think doing something scary as often as possible um within reason of course is fantastic advice. Um staying in your comfort zone is is kind of a shitty place to be if you ask me. It is. Yeah. Well, Tracy, it has been amazing catching up. Uh I I can't you... I can't tell you how good it is to talk to you. It's been quite some time. It has. I've been has. I've been able to use this uh, podcast as a platform basically just to call up old friends and shoot the shit. It's fucking fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> it's great. I, I like it. Yeah, I, I get like to it. catch up with everybody, and, and uh, I'm sure you feel the same way, especially in this sport. It could be someone you saw two days ago or five years ago. You'll fall right back into the rhythm and have those same conversations because of all the shared experiences. And it's uh, yeah, that's what, absolutely. That's what makes it so fucking amazing. I'll second that. All right. Well, Tracy, I love you. I'm so happy I got to talk to you. And thank you so much for joining me. Love you too. Take care, Dean. Take care. 
Once again, thanks to Tracy for taking the time to sit down and talk to me. Pretty important shit, if you ask me. Um, definitely topics that need to be hit on. Uh, again, I am the fucking pilot. This has been another edition of Lunatic Fringe Into the Void, brought to you proudly in association with the greatest magazine in the known universe, Blue Skies Magazine. You're going to go to blueskiesmag.com. You're going to subscribe to the magazine. You're going to order some cool swag. You're going to think of really cool ideas for articles that you can write yourself, because like I say, if I can write for them, so can you. And if you're looking to do any promoting, you got anything you're trying to sell, any cool services, you're going to want to go to them for advertising as well and get your word out there. Uh, we are also proudly brought to you by Craft Imaging. Uh, Craft Imaging is an EU-based company that offers personalization on any surface. I can tell you right now, they sent me some really cool shit. Everything from a wine bottle that's got the Lunatic Fringe uh, logo on it, uh, engraved and sandblasted on it, to uh, glass plates with photographs on them. They're absolutely fantastic. You're going to want to go check them out at craftimaging.eu. Craftimaging.eu. As for me, you can find me at the fuckingpilot.net. There you'll find links to both the books I've written, uh, the fucking pilot book, which is the previously published articles for Blue Skies Magazine, and the Accidental Stripper. Both of them are available in both digital and print form, and as I keep saying, I'm working on the audio book for the Accidental Stripper as well. Again, I can't thank you enough for joining me for another episode of Lunatic Fringe Into the Void. We will see you next time around.